All right, hey everybody, excited to get back into doing some YouTube lives. Uh, today, uh, we're bringing in my friend Joe Whitchurch. Um, Joe has been with Horatio Christie from pretty early on. We'll probably have him share a little bit more of that and his role now in things. Um, but it's been a cool thing to get to know him over the years. When I first joined on staff, I went out to a conference um, for any of us who were new chapter directors. Um, and Joe was one of the first people that I met on staff. Um, and so I'm excited to have him on. He always ends up livening up any of the uh, boring <laughs> administrative calls that a lot of times we have to go through as um, some of the higher ups within Rashio Christie and just keeps things a little bit more more rowdy and fun. So Joe, I'm excited to have you on um, and have you share a little bit today. So thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you, Noah. Thanks for the opportunity, and and I will wear that uh, rowdiness as a badge of honor. Everybody's been in those meetings, and you just yeah. you gotta have a little levity every now and then. Right. <laughs> yeah, no doubt for sure. I think uh, sometimes those just logistical meetings, it's gotta happen, but man, it can be slogging through a little bit for sure. So, um, I would love to have you start off with even, and I don't know if I've even heard you share this of how you kind of came on staff with us as Rashio Christie, why apologetics is something that you found is important um, for us to focus in on and get, get into. Fair enough. Thanks. Uh, we can do the whole hour on that, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, I was persuaded uh, about the good news of the gospel through uh, believe it or not, Bible prophecy. I was kind of scared into the kingdom through uh some old uh, left-behind movies and things like that. But you know, prophecy always intrigued me. And uh, so I look it up in Scripture and, and get a little more balanced, less panicky, but still living in, in a positive sense of urgency towards the second coming of Christ. But then, actually, I, I had some real doubts about uh, God's goodness, believe mm. it or not. I've kind of felt that God was, was evil. I was in a popular rock band. And uh, in in the Midwest, anyway, we we back backed up uh, our real speed wagon at a, a concert, and uh, and I had an opportunity to jam with some guys that later became Cheap Trick. But uh, so the, the writings of Francis Schaeffer, C.S. Lewis, very instrumental in my early uh, conversion, along with Bible prophecy as well. But anyway, I came on Rashu Christie. Fast forward, after 37 years of campus ministry with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Okay. And served with InterVarsity, were loaned to the Zambia Fellowship of Christ, of Evangelical Students for three years, and then came back. And I was an area director of that administrative, doing these meetings things, right? Uh, and then they put me with the graduate and faculty ministry with, uh, with InterVarsity. When you're working with grad students, you're working with faculty, they have hard questions. And there's cognitive dissonance between the active uh, sacred cow cows and their academic discipline and their Christian faith, especially as evangelical Christians. And, and so uh, answering those questions, that you kind of become a specialist generalist <laughs> because you have so many different faculty friends and so many different grad students and so many different kinds of academic disciplines. Even here in Indiana, we have IU, which is music and theater, and Purdue, which is science, engineering, and math. And uh, so what happened was uh, a fellow named Corey Miller, our national president, and I were both on the same campus, Purdue. He was working with crew in the faculty commons. 
and I was working with graduate and faculty ministry within a varsity. And we were sponsoring these large outreaches with some some big name speaker apologists to come in and address the university that had academic credentials. And we just really enjoyed doing this together. It was an annual thing that we co-sponsored. And Rocio Christie recruited uh, Corey. And he actually, I remember him asking me to pray. Should I do this? I said, dude, this is a no-brainer. You should go with Rocio. This is your full-time niche. This is your, your passion. And it was shortly after he was recruited as uh, the CEO of Rocio that he began talking to me about coming across. Well, I'm in my mid-60s, and uh, I'm not wanting to burn any bridges with my InterVarsity friends. So I asked my my boss, who at that time was the acting president of InterVarsity, to pray for me about it. And he could, he could see I was a good fit with my ministry gifts. I was a, a dean for our one-week-long apologetics track in the summertime for training students. Um, but he said, and the counsel he gave me and the things he said to watch out for as far as infrastructure support and things like that have all, all been true. But I'm still in touch with the... Uh, my friend Jim Lundgren, and uh, but we sense that the Lord was leading us to come with Rocio. And so I'm actually in an office right next to Corey. He's on the other side of that wall there. Gotcha. Uh, but my role is a um, regional director for uh, Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, and then Indiana eastward across Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Virginia. So I oversee our area ministry directors in that geography and they oversee our chapter directors that work on campus but i can't stay off campus i live just across the river from purdue i was just in a student bible study today and and uh, one of the guys i supervise is speaking in a chapter tonight but i'm here with you and glad to be here but yeah anyway that's awesome probably awesome. a fire hose of information but right. a little bit no, appreciate it. Um, so today we wanted to kind of get into something um, a little bit different uh, than what we've kind of covered in other things in the past, which is kind of typical, I think, really of my Wednesday live streams. Um, we get into just different topics, but uh, you kind of have an idea of proposing how even someone who's not a Christian should want a Christian friend. Um, which is an interesting idea. And so would love you to, to kind of just throw that out there and let's let's get into it. You know, part of it, I think, was uh, recently seeded uh, by my going to a, a class reunion. If I say the year of the class reunion, you may have a coronary episode. But it's my 50th, 50th high school class reunion. All right, okay. I'm touring the little farm town I grew up and going to visit the grave of my parents and taking pictures of the house I grew up in, the house that I fell out of the second story window on and landed <laughs> on my head. And there's all kinds of stories about my bad behavior in that town. But there was one house that was a friend and it was a, a Norwegian um, peer who went to our high school and he was the first real Christian that I met. And, uh, and he wanted me as a friend, <laughs> and and but I was not a Christian. But anyway, so this is kind of a reversal on the conversation. But I told him at, at the classroom, I said, uh, um, I know as a follower of Christ, my sins are forgiven, my guilt is what I, he sees me through the righteousness of Christ. Really, really wonderful things. But as I took pictures, I went to various sites in a little small town. I said, guilt associated with this place. I've got. Uh, um, regret associated with this place. I've got pain associated with that place. Oh, there's Roy's house. There's Roy Oxnabot's house. 
thank God for Roy Oxnabot. You know, I just um, there is a sense in which I, I'm obligated by both somebody friending me, and of course, you know, the old hymn. diversify their portfolio of friend resources, worldly perspectives and so forth. But we can talk more about that. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I think we're chasing down today in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so what do you think? I lost your sound. Did you get muted or did I get muted? Um, I shouldn't be muted. I don't think you should be good. You still Maybe don't... I talked too much and it made it so I can't hear you. Shoot. <laughs> That's sad. Um, hmm. Hmm. Oh, I'm seeing weird something on Skype uh, telling me. That's so odd. Give me a second. Let's see if so, I can figure it out. Now you just changed your background. Oh, nice background. Look at those elk. <laughs> I love it. I can do my own dialogue here for you. Love that hat, that Colorado State hat. Let's see. Are you going to be able to edit this later? I can do a little running monologue here. Yeah, here. Do you hear me now? Christie hat. Yeah, with the company. I don't know why that just changed. Can you still not hear me? Still can't hear you. Could I have possibly bumped you on this end? I literally can't hear anything you're saying. So. Uh, it ouch. should be. It should be good on my end. Oh, now I hear you. I hear you very softly. Okay. Very softly. Yeah. That's weird. I don't know. Go um, ahead and shout for me. <laughs> let me switch back to this mic. How's that? No. Nope, it goes away. Ouch. That doesn't make sense. Well, technical difficulties. For That's always broadcast, fun. we got to be able to hear each other, right? Should I click? No, I now I'm unmuted. Oh. <laughs> um, Turn my Let's camera see. off, turn it back on. What around. if I do that? There. Aha. Can you Aha. hear me? Back on. Yeah. I turn yeah. my All right. Okay. It looks like we're we're streaming again. So we'll just kind of pick it up where we left off there. Uh, okay. Yeah. Weird glitch. Sorry guys. Um so Joe, what would you say um you know, when you look back on that friend, what what about that outside of him eventually bringing to you you to relationship with the Lord was was just a good thing for you to have a friend like him? I believe he's probably the only person with his perspective, um, which would be a biblical worldview, mm -hmm. view that God could uh, take an interest in someone like me. Yeah, and. Uh, for my genuine good in the whole town. Uh, he, he was a true, true Christian. I, I was involved in religion. I was involved in a mainline denomination as one of the youth leaders. But I was playing songs about using the Lord's name in vain. Steppenwolf's GD, the pusher man, uh, selling drugs out of the church uh, and to the accolades of the minister. And uh, people would do anything to be seeker sensitive, to have youth like me with long hair coming there. And uh, 
think my mom was trying to save the church, but I'm not sure she was even a believer at the time. Uh, um, actually, I think I'm the first believer in my nuclear family. All of them into faith afterwards. But, but Roy was a catalyst. Uh, and I think part of it, who speaks to a friend and invites them to a, a study on the life of Jesus? Mm-hmm. You know, Roy did. I didn't have to go. I didn't say no. But I, I dabbled in that. Uh, um, who would tell you when your popularity is soaring after being a, such a class clown and a dud academically and in, in sports, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Because he saw me losing my soul. Mm. Enough to confront. You know, that kind of thing. That was very valuable to me. But I, but I think for, for uh, even a person, and that's just speaking, of course, evangelistically, right? Right. Uh, critical conversations at critical junctures, that kind of thing. Um, I gave a presentation the other day at Purdue University to the Russia Christie chapter about what I consider to be the, the religion of the Western world, uh, Western civilization, and the university. And it's my conviction that the dominant religion of the university has been naturalism for some time. Mm-hmm. And that naturalism has four faces. But really, if you just define it, <laughs> uh, it's pretty dull. It's pretty boring that this uh, physical universe is uh, all there's ever been or all there ever will be. And uh, the way I unpacked the four different faces of it was uh, one would be scientism. All we can know, we can know through scientific experimentation. Anything else like love or loyalty or truth or what's good art, bad art, that's all subjective. You know, see that fact, value, dichotomy, and so forth. Uh, methodological naturalism. So a person doesn't necessarily have to believe in scientism. Mm-hmm. They just yeah, use that in their vernacular, in their profession, in their publications, in their friendship circle, in their peer review. And, you know, after a lifetime of doing it, it starts becoming part of your DNA, whether or not you have a little category for something else, elsewhere or not. So scientism, uh, methodological naturalism. Then I had the category of paganism. Because I believe even within witchcraft and, and Satanism and other New Age things, these spiritual powers, none of them are infinite. None of them existed from eternity past, or will exist to, into eternity future, uh, or are personal, relational. They're powers that we manipulate in our finite ways, in a finite universe for either good, according to white witchcraft, or evil. If you're, And then the fourth category was what I call approved activism. That's a way of just saying uh, naturalism, social justice. Mm-hmm. You can you can be anti-drugs, you can be anti-promiscuity, you can be uh, pro-self-discovery and self-actualization, all, but the minute you invoke the fact that God may approve or disapprove or be involved in that process, now you're out of bounds. So that, you, you, can, you can even be an activist against human trafficking. Right. The minute you say that human trafficking is morally evil and people will have to stand before a holy God to answer for the exploitation of people, that's that's off the table. That's not approved mm-hmm. activism because you've got somebody talking from a Christian worldview here now. Um, but I think um, it's boring for everybody to be a naturalist mm-hmm. <laughs> into naturalism. I would think people would want a different... 
I know I like different perspectives. I get bored at Rashio Christie meetings when I get the feeling like everybody's just singing the same song to the choir. Right. You know, we need to push back to refresh our water, to refresh our mind, and, and, and actually challenge us in the area of actually being a genuine friend without a project mentality right. towards someone or manipulating conversations and so forth. Anyway. Yeah. Just a few ideas there. We got a few more to do. That could whet our appetites. Right. Yeah. So definitely like the ways that that ha- having a different perspective um, and all oftentimes I think, especially in today's culture, both with the way that people orient themselves with their own friends, but even, you know, the algorithms of social media and everything else, we are grinding ourselves in such a way to always associate only with the people that agree with us. Um, Narrowing, siloing. Right, yeah. Seeing us a consumer. Right. And so having, yeah, I totally agree with you, having a Christian friend in that can definitely be something that helps broaden someone's perspective a little bit to look at it, look at some things a little bit differently than they maybe normally would. And I think that's well worth our time. Lifting horizons, but also being a, a different perspective on the issue of pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's a step. I say a different perspective, but that sounds kind of trivial, but it actually is a, a different whole worldview and, and philosophy of life that, that can uh, bring dignity and ennoble people. And I think people want to believe that they're significant, mm-hmm. um, their meaning, value, purpose, even though they're cynical or pessimistic about finding it. I just got this uh, new baseball hat since you're wearing your Colorado State one. I'll yeah. show it off here. Got it from our mutual friend, Dr. Joe Miller. Uh, and I don't know if you can read what it says there. Right. You are sacred. Yeah. Change my mind. Oh, does it say? I can't. <laughs> that's that's a little bright. Yeah, Got it's, it. It's tiny. But, but who's going to argue against that? Right. Who wants to, oh, you think I'm sacred? Oh, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm just atoms and motions. My best thoughts are just... Uh, atoms and neurons and uh, electrical charges and chemical reactions happening in my my mind. And and Richard Dawkins is absolutely right. It's just blind, pitiless indifference going from a big, meaningless explosion to an ultimate heat death. You know, it might be nice to have somebody in the circle that uh, has some reasons for Mm -hmm. thinking that maybe that's not the case. Maybe the things that I like to think are meaningful and, and important actually are. Um, right. You know, to be able to say, yeah, I, I disagree with the uh, the wanton, meaningless clubbing of uh, endangered uh, Arctic seal, mm-hmm. uh, but I, but I not just because somebody said I should do it by some fiat from uh, from Greenpeace, but I actually think it's they're they're creatures that God made, mm-hmm. <laughs> not creatures in God's image, but they're important creatures that He designed, and that's that's vicious behavior and it's against a creation that has a creator and so for you it might be pragmatically wrong or something like that for me i think it's pragmatically wrong and it's morally wrong it's wrong Mm -hmm. against the nature of things so i may find myself actually more on their team than they really realize Mm -hmm. thinking well it's probably anti-environmental concerns because he's a christian and christians want to destroy the earth 
Come on, you need to ask more questions. You need some some more Christians in your friendship circle. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that's something, you know, to talk a little bit on the the earth element of that. That's something that I think we can admit that Christians haven't always been clear in. Um, True. Unfortunately, True. I think there's there's ways that like and and this is how I think politics is often too much been seen as, you know, the Republican Party is the Christian Party. Um, mm-hmm. And that sometimes job. it seems like we're we're not following policies that <laughs> are trying to promote the best for the environment and that sort of thing. So I understand where they're coming from with that. Um, and that's partly our own fault to do a better job of communicating that, like, part of the Christian message is that we need to be stewards that God has put us in place to steward this earth, to take care of it. And so we should be doing everything we can to sustain this world in a way that is going to be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. Yeah. It's in harmony with his creative intents and purposes. Right. Uh, You know, if you talk to most people that are maybe unchurched or don't have a Christian in their background circle, um, and, and you quote something like John three sixteen, right? Which is true. It's a powerful mm-hmm. verse. Uh, they tend to look at that and to look at us as being followers of a kind of personally therapeutic private uh, deism. Mm-hmm. It's a God, but he doesn't really interfere with your life that much because this is the only time you've ever talked about it when you're quoting this verse. And I can see you're hyperventilating about it because you're nervous about sharing it with me. And it has to do with a eternal life that's something after death. So it's not very relevant right now, but I can tell it's meaningful to you. But have they ever heard the passage in the latter chapters of Revelation? Probably not, because even Christians don't read Revelations that much. But it talks, God talks about he will destroy those who destroy the earth. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a earth care from Genesis 2. They might say, well, that's prehistory or something. But it, this, the themes of uh, being a wise steward under God's authority for people, for relationships, for resources, for gifts, for talent, for passions. This is a, uh, it's not a secret in Scripture. It's not an obscure message. But sometimes in our rush to, to focus on eternal salvific, we miss the holism and shalom that God wants for us now. And I think people are looking for peace as well as meaning, value, and purpose. They are looking for shalom. They, they do feel like they're out of sync with the way things ought to be. But they don't have a standard for what oughtness comes from. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, so much of today's society is also this um, drive for social justice. Um, that really doesn't end up really having much ground to stand on without a belief in a God. Um, so yeah, I, I'll ask people frequently when I see they'll, they'll have pins you know, for different cause celebs. And, um, how would you define social justice? Mm-hmm. Or, or how would you just define justice? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how will we know if we'll ever get here? Uh, and do you think it it might ever get here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how would we know? Um, and that's, those are fun conversations, but I, I think there are people that different, have different perspectives on that. And it's always intriguing. I just got this uh, quote from a uh, student down at the 
IUPUI. It's a, a Indiana University, Purdue University in Indianapolis. And it's from a student who is a self-described atheist. Okay. Uh, I printed it out, but look, it went to the margins. It's not your, <laughs> just your printer that sometimes takes things off the margin. It's mine, too. Anyway, yeah. I have it on my phone here. I might be able to read it easier. <laughs> Let me read this to you. I think I think this kind of tells something from a different perspective, mm-hmm. from a person that's not a Christian's perspective. He says, right. though I am an atheist, I greatly appreciate the Rashu Christie Club on my campus. Thoughtful conversation is difficult to come by in general, let alone on a college campus. In the case of most, quote, discussions being had on campus, the punchline, I'm not sure what he means by punchline, is already known and assumed at the start. However the, however, the trajectory of a Rashi Christie meeting is almost impossible to predict. Now that I think about it, one might call true discussion a form of art. You don't know how it will end when you start. And he goes on to say, I've been part of the Rashi Christie Club for as long as I've been a student. I'm open to conversion in any direction, which is why the chapter director and I are currently going through the book called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. In short, I love the Rashi Christie Club and have no reason to change it at all. It's already perfectly designed for people who enjoy thinking. Right. Well, I, I don't know a lot of atheists that speak this way. Um, right. But then again, I don't know a lot of Christians that are like his friend or friends mm-hmm. in the club there or the chapter right. director. But that's the kind of thing that I, I think we're aiming at. Mm-hmm. And everybody can feel, like you said, the social media you read one kind of book and now they recommend five other books of this in the same genre and they, they try to narrow us down and reduce us so that we'll buy buy a product and, and they'll profit from our being on their social media platform. But following truth wherever it leads is is a different story. Right. And even Christians sometimes they're so uh, keyed up about evangelism can sometimes well if somebody asks that question, well then you say this and you answer back like that and then you, and then you steer the conversation over here, you still you know there is a sense in which um, a good conversation listens well mm-hmm. and tries to define terms. And so I know why that question is important to me. I know why that problem is important to me. But do you mind if I ask you why that question or problem is important to you? How can we solve this together, push back on each other's proposed solutions to try to sharpen each other? Even the scripture, I think, in the book of Proverbs says that iron can sharpen iron so people can... Yeah, sometimes spark, but that's okay. We're kind of a safe place for people that don't really appreciate safe spaces. We, we would rather be in a loved and provoked and stimulated to love and to good deeds mm-hmm. and to friendships with people of different religions, different uh, political persuasions, different understandings of social justice and so forth. Anyway. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had a student that's been coming to our chapter who's Jewish, who's been coming for almost a year now. Um, and it's cool to just, you know, he's he's seen that we're a group that's willing to dive into those questions. He hasn't been convinced. That's why he's still Jewish at this point. But he sees that we're willing to look things over and examine, all right, does the truth seem to point this direction? He understands our our flow of logic, so to speak, to get where we are. Um, you know, it's when we get into interpretations of scripture, that is the reasons why he hasn't been convinced that Jesus is the Messiah that I would say he's been waiting for and looking for. Um, 
but he at least, you know, and it's even interesting, he talks about meeting with us, and then he also has met with some LDS missionaries um, a lot in the last year or so. Yeah. And, you know, his experience with them has just been like, they they don't understand a lot of the Jewish history and um, just these little things that they can't explain about simple questions that he asks them about their faith, um, where he's like, at least when I, when I ask you guys, you have an answer or you go and you research that more to be able to talk about it more. Um, and that's just a, an element that I think is part of what we as Rasho Christie are pr- trying to kind of bring about, you know? So are you, are you guys the ones that are in Colorado that had Abdul Murray recently or was that? Texas? Yes, we did. Yeah. That was us for sure. Well, one of the so. things that may encourage you about his testimony is he was actually persuaded that Jesus was more than the prophet Isa and actually was the Messiah mm-hmm. for a long time before he went public with it. Mm-hmm. Because thinking about the implications for family and culture and relationships and what would this mean for him if he came out with this. Right. Well, uh, I have some Jewish friends like that. Sometimes they think that I'm anti-Jewish or, or we get put in that stereotype because they'll say, hypothetically speaking, though in my case it's not so hypothetical, I may say something about... Uh, disapproval with the banning of a pro-life message by Zuckerberg on Facebook and funding abuses for campaigns by George Soros. And they say, oh, you just don't like Jewish people. I say, wait a minute, you don't, you don't know who I read. You don't know I like uh, Ben Shapiro or Dennis Prager. <laughs> they don't, people right. don't know that you, you think outside the box and, and you contrast and compare. And those are kind of extremes of left and right. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and then I have friends that are Jewish that... Uh, Give me different explanations of Isaiah fifty-two, fifty-three, mm-hmm. and uh, so. But it's but it's good. It's it's fun. Let's find out where that comes from. Right. Yeah, I think like one of the things that you were hinting at was this idea of when we're in dialogue with people that we're trying to look at that thing, whatever we're discussing and disagreeing on, as it's not me against them, but we're both looking at this project side by side, trying to figure out what the truth actually is. Um, and it's not a hominin and it's not a genetic fallacy. It is, what's the claim we're looking here? What's, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the truth? And tricky though for folks, it really is. Right, yeah. I think, um, I, don't, I was gonna mention this too, um, the uh, book Mere Christianity, a lot of uh, Christians have read it, and, and not a few uh, mainline people from a mainline kind of background, uh, Christianity, Eastern Orthodox, Catholic, um, Protestant. Uh, that, that book, Mere Christianity, and the, uh, the last page of it, talks, it's kind of a prelude to Till We Have Faces, but it really talks about the fact that God's unique fingerprint on us and design on us as individuals created image of God is is very special and there there is a sense in which Christianity has a very unique thing to offer there right. uh, even in Islam you have the transcendence of God but not so much the intimacy or eminence or uh, knowing the hairs on your head or being care, caring about your relationships necessarily right. unless getting you to the, the five pillars uh, and the trip to Mecca there, there is a sense in which this whole business of God's transcendence, yes, but it's also caring for your next heartbeat. 
knitting you together in your mother's womb. Uh, these kinds of things are, are uh, shocking to people. A lot of people have never even heard their name mentioned in prayer. Um, and I, I'll do it sometimes on campus. I'm talking to somebody, you know, what do you think about God? And they'll say, oh, I don't believe in God. I'm really having a hard time with my grades. And he's not seeming to answer my prayer. I said, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? I said, I don't mind if you pray for you. They're not expecting I'm going to pray right there. And I don't try to manipulate it and go into a big, long speech. Right. I just put a couple sentence prayer for Bill to be able to master his studies, read the right things, get a good relationship with his academic advisor, and um, help him this day to not be quite as stressful so he can learn what you want him to learn and not be in his brain stem. <laughs> That's shocking to him. That's mm. shocking. And they Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think just, I mean, it's being there. That's a lot, large part of it. You know, when we're talking about being a friend, I think that's a huge part of what that ends up bringing to the table is you being present in the good times and the hard. That makes a huge deal. Um, you know, we just, I just did a interview with one of the um, student writers for the student newspaper asking kind of questions of what we think of the street preachers on campus. And, you know, one of my biggest critiques of that is like they come and they leave and it's, it's kind of this like checkbox evangelism is what I've dubbed it. Um, you're not, you're not coming there to build relationships. You're not coming there because you even really are trying to make disciples. Like at best, these guys are going to come and someone might convert, but that's not the goal. Like that's never been the goal it's not been about making converts to Christianity. It's about making disciples of Christianity and disciples of Christ, making people more like Christ. And I can't do that by showing up one day and leaving the next. It's just not going to happen. And so that's why we exist as ministries that stick around on campus, not only us, but like InterVarsity as you've experienced and other campus ministries we're there for the long haul because that's what we're trying to do is make people more like christ that's right yeah to be a, a follower of christ uh, a disciple a learner of him is different than uh, than fire insurance but if somebody's shouting at you and calling you a, a name mm -hmm. because it's how you dressed uh, <laughs> it's it's hard to hear but that shock value stuff that they employ does uh, draw a crowd and gets out the media too, right? But it's, it doesn't really represent uh, a true Christianity, um, just because of the reason that you said, and and others mm -hmm. as well. Um, I have to comment on your pictures behind this first time I've been on your show. Yeah, you know, I've I've seen people yeah. people, but when I look at those pictures back there, I think of Aslan in C.S. Lewis's book, The Chronicles of Narnia, uh -huh. and I think of that. Behind your head there, right? As the the dawn treader, I keep thinking the waves are going to start moving and that ship's going to come out, right? And you're going to go into the water, or something like that. Yep. And this kind of reminds me of one of my favorite books in that series called The Silver Chair. Yeah. Uh, have you read Have you read the Chronicles? Yeah, I actually have started to, starting last year. I decided that I'm going to try to read the Chronicles of Narnia every year. Oh, so. I used to when the kids were younger. I always read it through for them. But yeah, I have recently. I got to tell you that the Dawn Treaders is my favorite, and, and so is the Silver Chair. But there's there's a scene in the Silver Chair where these children, you know, you know the the story. It's 
Lewis says it's not an allegory, but they go from England to another land called Narnia. And in Narnia, Aslan, this uh, untamed, very strong lion, but uh, but also very good, is kind of a type of Christ. And he dies and rises in the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But in the silver chair, uh, a prince is captured by a, um, a person and taken underground <laughs> to the the, uh, the, witch, the witch or the female evil person's uh, world. Mm-hmm. And they're under, underground looking for him. They come across her. And she is strumming her instrument. And she's burning some incense. It probably has some drugs in it. And she's dialoguing with them about worldview. And they're saying, well, we're looking for the prince. He's missing. And well, where are you from? Well, we're from Narnia. Well, there is no Narnia. This underground world is the only world there is. I said, well, well, um, what about the sun? And, and she said, well, you looked at this light bulb and you said, ah, the light bulb. And, and you projected something bigger and stronger in your children's make-believe game. And you, you called that the sun. And, She's doping him and she's strumming his stuff and she's lying to him. And uh, one, of, one of my heroes in the, that particular series is a guy named Puddleglum. He's such a pessimist. Mm-hmm. He's kind of Eeyore, uh, but he, uh, he always tends to do the right thing, but he always thinks it's going to be com- a complete disaster. So with him, every surprise is usually a good one because he, he catastrophizes so much. But he steps on the witch's fire at one point. But first they, they ask the question, well, what about Aslan? And because she knows that Aslan is good and, and he's a symbol for God, she really throws the fire, the dope on the fire, rapid speeds the strumming and says, oh, no, you saw a kitty cat and you imagine some, something bigger and you just, you're projecting God, you know, like for your body or something like that. And uh, so Pelagon steps on the fire with his bare foot, gives him a lot of pain, smell of his burning uh, marsh with flesh stinks up the place. And it's revealed that, um, that this is the evil person who has enticed the prince, and they have a spiritual battle with, with the weaponry that Aslan has provided. But one of the things that the children say is, even if our world is a made-up world of, of people having meaningful relationships, <laughs> of friendships, and Narnia, and the stars, and the sky, and the sun, and uh, Aslan, um, it licks your world hollow. So probably just going to have to go on in this cave-like existence forever. But we're just going to keep Right. I about this in terms of, in her world, in the in the children's story, um, people don't really have relationships, <laughs> healthy ones anyway. Mm-hmm. But there is a sense in which, as a team, they're in this. And even the diversity of having a, a marsh wiggle creature with human people um, on a quest for Narnians that are in captivity, it brings out this fact that um, you want to have different gifts and passions, but you also want to follow the truth wherever it leads. And sometimes on that quest, you might find that you're up face to face with something that looks an awful lot like pure evil. <laughs> and we don't we don't talk that much that, about that today in the Western culture because uh, we're far more comfortable language of, of therapy and psychology and, and family of origin, wounded issues, and, and that's all very important, very important. But there is evil, too. Uh, right. Scott, one of the early psychiatrists, he talked about such things. But uh, 
Yeah, it's good to have a Christian in the friendship circle because they can mention these kinds of things and even pray spiritual warfare prayers for you. I remember having a friend that uh, um, they were being persuaded to have an abortion mm. by someone they loved, right? Yeah. And, and there was a lot of I encouraged her um, even though I would say I don't think she was really full on with the Lord, <laughs> maybe not a Christian at the time, um, to put on the helmet of salvation, you know, <laughs> to put to tighten the belt of truth and to pray these things and pray them out loud. And she found some comfort and some peace, and I think even the relationship, which was rocky, was restored. And uh, it's not the same relationship even today. There's been some healing and some grace and yeah I'm, it's still in process though still, but uh, and that's part of the trick right hanging in there through the pain with people that are going through a breakup in their courtship a breakup in their marriage uh, they didn't get the phd because the major professor said no i don't like your approach on this mm -hmm. project done or people feel like they're unworthy and they their whole self-esteem was wrapped up in their GPA or in their, they didn't get first chair in the orchestra because their whole self-esteem is wrapped up in their musical abilities or their art or their expression or the ability to be on a podcast like this. Mm -hmm. And no, 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 it goes deeper than that. Mm -hmm. uh, we're created in God's image. We are valued. We are loved. We have purpose and meaning. Right. Uh, there is forgiveness and there is uh, restoration. It's hope. Hmm. A real change that has a ground in reality and not just in slogan. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's an element, I think, that even if someone doesn't believe, this is, I think, what your analogy looking at the Narnia story gets at, is like, even if it isn't true, there's some element that I think all of us should want it to be true. When I compare the Christian worldview, the Christian ethic, the Christian ideals to anything else out there, there's a part of me that's like, even if this isn't true, this is what I would want to be true. Now, I'm definitely of the conviction that I want to follow what is true anyways. And so that's what's... Even what, if it's painful, even if it's painful. Even if it is painful, you know, <laughs> and that's where this is great that like, okay, not only is this what I want to be true, but I've been become absolutely convinced that it is actually true. Um, but, but there is something to be said for, all right. Yeah. Like given all the possible worlds out there, this is the world that I, this Christian world is the one that I would want to be actually true. Um, like before we got on live, I was telling you about this, this book from the LDS church and talking about their church history. And like, I would think, when I'm reading a book that's of their church, uh, someone's church history or religious history that's written by them, that I would come to finishing that book and being convinced, like, I want this to be true. I don't know if it is true, but I want it to be true. But like, as it's I'm reading, right. But as I'm reading this book, I'm like, I don't want this to be true. Like everyone seems manipulated into believing this. They don't seem very responsible with their money. 
and they seem to be doing things that just seem undermining in some way or contradicting themselves. I don't, I wouldn't want the LDS church to be true. Um, so like, even if it was like, if it was sure, I guess I would follow it, you know, cause I want to follow truth, but like, I'd be looking at it the whole time being like, man, I wish, I wish something else was true. There are a lot of not yet uh, Christians that have that view towards Christianity, right? Sure. And Muslims from the Middle East sees Christians and what the Christian passport means is you can get drunk and be abusive to people. You know, that's that's what that means. Or somebody from an abusive home, religiously overbearing, uh, didn't allow reading widely or taking certain classes. And so there can be a sense that they they really hope it's not true because they— the image of what it means to be a Christian is skewed, is skewed uh, through their experience with some some nasty people. But there is something about desirability that is important. On our Ratio Christi, uh, spelled ratio and Christ with an I at the end of it, dot org on uh, YouTube, there is a video on there by a guy named Daniel Mizell. Uh, you can look it up if you go to our channel, Ratio Christi, on, on YouTube. And Daniel's last name is, everybody knows how to spell Daniel, but last name is spelled M-I-Z-E-L-L. And he was involved with Ratio for probably a year, a lot of relationship with theists. And he and his wife were both atheists, but very curious, very um, regular attenders, asked a lot of questions, body language sometimes like this at a meeting, (laughs) but but still curious and curious. going out afterwards with some fellow grad students to, to a pub and ask questions and stuff. But uh, he had a uh, encounter with our faculty advisor, Erica Carlson, who was in physics. And Erica gave him a challenge. And it, was, it wasn't a physics challenge. It was, uh, uh, Dan, i just give you a challenge for 30 days. Can you just do this? Uh, I know you don't believe God, but just talk to the universe, to the open air space or whatever it is and say, God, if there is a God, Whatever you call yourself, he, she, great power, whatever. Um, if you exist, would you let me know that you exist? And when Daniel did that uh, on the very first day, it's like something connected in the syntaps and, and the, the make sense. He was firmly convinced that Christianity was actually true. Hmm. So he was so convinced, he went home and he told his wife over supper, that it was true, and a whole separate lit experience. She, as an atheist, had had the same day as well. What was what was the connecting point for him? It's that he wanted to believe that his moral notions about love and loyalty and uh, dishonesty and uh, uh, scandal were actually based in something that was real and not just illusory or his own personal private opinion, but it had some basis in reality. And so it was like he got the ratio Christi for reason, and at the same time he got the ratio agape, the reason for love, and uh, the ratio for you know creation and everything else. But anyway, it's a fascinating video. It's very short, probably three minute long. But uh, his freshness of telling the story is pretty, is pretty exciting. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll have, to, I'll have to check that one out for sure. So, Well, I'm not exactly sure what this means for your viewers. How many of your viewers are actually not yet believers or from a Muslim or a Latter-day mm-hmm. Saint or from 
a mainline Christian or anti-supernatural or natural uh, functioning as a method of law naturalism and it's bleeding over on their their psyche. But, um, right. Hopefully this has been some thoughts of, of help people think about the, the truthfulness and the goodness of God and uh, right. the truthfulness and, and goodness of having a meaningful friendship yeah. with someone that isn't a clone. Yeah. That isn't a clone. Yeah. You know, we don't need another Joe Witcherch, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Couldn't hurt. Thanks in the mail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anything else that you would uh, you would like to kind of add at the end here that um, you think people would just like as a good kind of closing remark? Well, I still am drawn to that picture. Can you tell me a little more about that sailboat? How did you happen to come to that? Get that. See, I got my Holland, Michigan shirt on. Yeah. It's actually a I don't very often wear a hoodie, but it's kind of chilly out here today. Right. And uh, I love Holland. We got the, the Great Lakes of Lake Michigan. And seeing the sun out there, great place to have a still and know that he is God. But uh, how, how did right. you happen to come to this uh, painting? So I actually got that. I'm going to switch just my camera so people can see a little bit better. But um, my sister um, actually had this painting before and she was just getting rid of some art. Um, just they'd gotten some new things and she's like, do you want this? And I, I loved it. My first thought was same as you. It made me think of Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Um, the way that he describes the waves and how they like seemed like they were coming out of the page. And then, then it talks about them. They were all of a sudden, like the waves started <laughs> splashing into the room. Um, cause yeah, that's what I look at it. And I, it just makes me feel like it's, it's coming out. And then you're spot on. I don't know if you've seen the quote, but you were spot on about this because um, it says, but of course he isn't safe, but he is good. <laughs> of um, course he isn't safe. Yeah. But he's good. Yeah, that's great. Yep. So that was um, one of my favorite quotes. And uh, actually a girl that I was dating at the time um, drew that whole thing up for me. That's a, that particular stencil is something that I thought about getting tattooed. Um, and then one year, um, she just drew the whole thing up for me and then asked if I wanted to throw a quote onto it and, um, told her that she put that on there and just been a cool painting to, or stencil work to have. So, yeah. That's fun that you should mention a tattoo. I, I saw one the other day. I thought about, I don't have any tattoos currently, uh, but I have a lot of friends that do. Yeah. But I saw one the other day. I'm going to show this to you. This is something I was thinking about getting as a tattoo. Let me show this to you. I think you'll get a kick out of this. <laughs> um, so here it is. It's um, truth. Can you read that? It looks oh, like yeah. I didn't I've seen these before. Yep. Yeah. And when you turn it upside down, you find the truth is rooted and grounded in someone who said he is the way, the truth, the life. God is true and everyone a liar. The spirit is the spirit of truth. But look, Jesus. Right. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. I've seen ones with death and life. Right. I haven't seen truth. Right. Jesus. Ah, maybe a tattoo. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I get henna? Is that what they call it? Henna where they, they Yeah. They, yep. It lasts a long time but not permanent. <laughs> right. Yeah. A couple of weeks or something like that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well cool. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on as your guest today. And I hope that the uh, the audio and the video shorting out in the live stream wasn't a total crash and burn for you. Yeah. You can edit 
and resuscitate it somehow in the future. Right. Yep. Well, I appreciate it, Joe, and I'll catch you another time. Okay. Thanks, Tony.